Let's go. Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey there folks, Oliver here. This week I interview Jake Sion, the COO of Transit App. We talk micromobility, mobility as a service and the interplay between the two, as well as the wider mobility landscape and how software can infuse intelligence into it. After last week's discussion on AdWords, Google Maps and mobility, it is a topical discussion. In the meantime, wanted to do a shout out again for Micromobility Membership or Triple M. We do exclusive calls on a regular basis. We've had Ryan Jepetsky, the founder of Jump, Kara Swisher and Felix Salmon, the founders of Spin, the head of Segway's business development, and Joe Krauss, the head of Lime, all on recently. We also have a Slack channel so that you can network and talk with the others who, like you, are interested in building the future. Plus, you get discounts on the Micromobility Conference, swag, and more, all for only $100 a year. Check it out at micromobility.io. And now, here's Jake. All right, and welcome back to Micromobility. I have with us today, Jake from Transit. How are you doing today, Jake? Good. Uh, good to chat with you today, Oliver. Yeah. Um, look, I, I'm really excited to, to, have, uh, to have you on, uh, uh, only because well, we, we, met, we actually met at the, the, the first Micromobility conference, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you and your team, Asher and uh, and the others. Um, it was um, it was great. Like uh, I think at that stage we kind of knew that micromobility and mobility as a service was like really a thing. Um, but um, I think that that thesis has really developed over the last year or eighteen months or something like that. So um, look, it would be great to to just have you take us through. So what is Transit? Um, how long has it been around? You know, what's your story? How did you, you know how did you get to uh, where you are? And- so the the company first started in two thousand and twelve, which is sort of light years for a, for a, a startup or a mobility startup. We've been around for, for quite a while. Um, and the original purpose of the app was really to scratch, the, um, uh, to scratch their own itch of the, of the founders. So uh, at the time, there were apps that were really good for um, planning trips to get from you know, A to B, like Google Maps. So how do, you, how do you get there? But none of them were focusing on a specific use case, which was I know which bus route I'm taking, I know where I'm going, just tell me when the next departure shows up. So they really built uh, a different uh, experience and that was designed quite differently, which is really about uh, your location and sort of the options around you. Um, and like every good startup, we, we, uh, we caught a lucky break, which was, uh, this was when uh, Apple had uh, replaced Google Maps in iOS 6. So there was no native, uh, there was no native <laughs> mapping platform on, on uh, on the iPhone, and so Apple basically started promoting alternatives, and they really liked what we were doing, uh, and so uh, that really helped us with with the initial adoption um, uh, back in the day. And so we started in three cities: in in Montreal, Toronto, and Quebec City. We're uh, we're a Canadian-based company uh, in Montreal, um, but quickly expanded a- around the world. Uh, uh, first in, in the U.S. and Canada, but but more so now in Europe and and Australia. Uh, New Zealand, uh, a few other markets. Uh, we launched Buenos Aires as well recently, um, and and also sort of evolved with the way evol- mobility has evolved since 2012. So when the app started, it was really focused just on public transportation. But you know, as new new mobility services emerged, 
we started, you know, shifting the, the, the vision from, from just public transit to really, you know, getting someone from A to B without their own car. So we added bike sharing in 2014. We added ride hailing services with Uber first in 2015. Uh, we added car sharing shortly after, um, dockless bikes, scooters, uh, really sort of, you know, every possible way to get around your city without, without taking your own car. Um, so that, that's sort of the, 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 the origin story. Um, today we're in 200 cities in 11 countries. Uh, we've gone from, you know, a focus just on information to really allowing people to act on that information. So bringing in payments for more and more modes into the app, uh, for more transit authorities, for, uh, for, for things like bike share and, and, and soon for scooters. Uh, so really that any, any sort of trip you want to do, you can act on in, in our app. Awesome. And, and, and then in terms of revenue, who are your customers? Do you have paying customers? Do people pay to use transit or is it, um, uh, yeah. yeah. Sure. So, um, you know, our primary customers are our end users. So uh, it's, it's the consumer. We're, we're primarily, you know, a B2C uh, company. Um, so, you know, if a user uh, books a trip, buys a pass uh, through the app, all of that, we are, we are making uh, revenue on those, on those uh, journeys. Um, or if, you know, someone is, uh, signs up for a, a partner service, whether it's from a scooter company or a, a ride hail company, all that traffic is, uh, is monetized. But I think we're in an interesting place where our, our, our customers are both the end users, but also the cities and the transit authorities, um, which might seem like a tough balancing act, you know, who, where, where's our primary loyalty? But um, I think the companies with the largest staying power in, in, in the space will be the ones who can successfully weave between both, um, uh, you know, uh, working with government and cities, but also working with the end users, with the consumers. So, you know, I think, you know, what an inspiration for, for me and, and, and for us as a company is, is a company like Via, right, which they built their business starting sort of in a uh, B2C business in New York City, um, but then they built off that foundation to, to offer products uh, to cities, to transit agencies that riders actually like to use. Yeah, I, I, I really think V is such an interesting model. I remember when I was at Uber, we were working, I was working in the Uber pool team and, um, and VIA was one that we were really, uh, we, were, we were really scared about them. I mean, it was, they, yeah. they were a very uh, formidable competitor and, and, um, and uh, but, but then they didn't really continue on with that consumer service. They ended up doing the, the, the sort of back end for anybody else who wanted to do a on-demand or bit large thing, and they, they, you know, with their with their partnership, what's what's the what's the name of the company that owns them or, or like part owns them? It's the the large infrastructure company that's French. Uh, oh, they made Kiel has made an investment. In yeah, I think it was Kiel, and and but yeah, that it ended up it ended up being that like they were going and they had all the conversations with all of the the different transit agencies to be able to make to, to be able to sell it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It's yeah. a it's but a really it's, interesting uh, model, I think, uh, as you say, to to you know whether or not you you continue to focus on the the, the direct customer or, or, or look at partnering with, with transit agencies over time. Yeah. Like that. It's something that we do actively, I mean, you know, to be clear. So we've got about, uh, I'd say about 75 different transit agencies, mostly in North America, but around the world who've, who've designated us their, their official app. And so what that means is, you know, you often, in, in the world of mass, you often talk about whether it's sort of a, you know, free market approach that, you know, companies are going to go out and build B2C to, B to apps or governments are going to go out and build their own thing. But we've sort of taken a, a a path between those two, where um, cities like Boston, Baltimore, Montreal, San Jose, instead of going out and building their own consumer consumer apps, they've endorsed us as their recommended app. So they are marketing us to their customers. They're telling their customers to use us. We're coordinating with them on on, on, on data questions, on support questions, on feature questions. Um, and you know, we just announced two weeks ago our our, our biggest partner, was Los Angeles. So they actually went and retired their own their own uh, in-house app. 
and have begun uh, you know, working with us as sort of their mobility platform of the, of the future. So starting from just public transit services, but um, Los Angeles has been quite forward thinking when it comes to microtransit, when it comes to other on-demand services, when it comes to scooters. And so um, it's really the foundation for, for more work together. Yeah, uh, but we'll, we'll get into LA in a little bit because uh, yeah. there's a fair amount to talk about there. But um, um, yeah. so, so, so talk me through, how do you, I mean, for the landscape yeah. of my mobility as a service, like, how do you see that development? Because, you know, this is obviously something we talk about a lot on the show. Um, and it could be a panacea and there's a lot of promise there. And yet uh, you look at WIM, uh, you look at others in the space, it's, it's you know, I can see where it's going to get to, and yet I've been frustrated at how slowly I think it's ended up moving, um, and that and that we've kind of that we haven't yet kind of got to that point where everything is able to talk to each other and you can just rely on it and you know that it's always going to be the the yeah. best options available um, versus say for example a car because that's ultimately like as you say you want to get people out of cars I want to get people out of cars how do how do yeah. you see that happening? Yeah, I mean I think I think there's sort of three different approaches. Um, you know, there there's there's the one where, where government decides that they're that they're going to go out and, and sort of build their own mobility as a service app, right? And and you know go through sort of a normal procurement or contracting model where they have a set of requirements. They cost a lot of money. They don't actually really think about the underlying issues with the data and certainly the, the access from from uh, private mobility companies. They build a bit of a grotesque app that isn't uh, you know uh, that usable. Um, and there's no real attempt to, to fix the underlying uh, policy and regulatory issues. And I think, I think that's, that's sort of a, a pessimistic view of what happens if it sort of lays just in, in, in government hands. The, the more optimistic view on, on, on the government side is that they actually go out and do all of those things, manage to build a halfway decent you know, uh, product. But at the same time, they realize that the challenge is not in building a new consumer app. The challenge is, in fact, in how do you create the right regulatory regime so that you know, the data is open, that the, uh, it works, that it's standardized, that the, all the stakeholders are, are there. And so you know, in that world, th there could be a world where government's building their own thing, but they're also realizing that the underlying problem is not building a new app. Um, there's certainly like the complete free market side, which is not one that I think moves that fast, which is one where it's you know, every app for, uh, for itself. Yeah. Which is, you know, you you, you got to strike private deals. Um, uh, it's very very hard to plan and pay across modes. It's, uh, uh, you know, to compare time or cost between providers. It's hard to coordinate. Um, there's poor interoperability between public transit. So, you know, that that's sort of a world where it's really, you know, free market, which is sort of what we're in in a lot of cases in the North American market today. Yeah, completely. Um, and 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 sort of why we're not moving as fast as I think we can be. Um, but I think there's like this broad middle uh, between these two paths where. You know, it is it is sort of a, a public-private partnership model. Um, in some ways, yes, yeah, similar to what I mentioned to you before of how we're working with transit authorities in a lot of places. Um, but it's also, uh, uh, you know, it, it's the public sector is not uh, absolving their responsibility, and so you know they're working to to advance sort of uh, data standards. They are requiring it uh, when when necessary. Um, they are uh, um, in in any sort of let's say permitting program for micromobility. They are including. Um, incentives for uh, for some of the outcomes they want. They're ensuring equity needs are met. They're ensuring there's competition. They're ensuring there's public accountability. So I think that's sort of this this middle of the road um, between sort of a, a complete government-led uh, approach to a sort of a complete free market approach. Um, and it's it's sort of suita suitable for, for, for transportation, which is something that's always involved sort of close coordination between the public and private sectors. Yeah. Interesting. I, yeah. I, uh, the how to get 
uh, everybody along on that journey is a co- I yeah. mean it's a coordination problem right and that and that um, I, I think is one that uh, as we've seen this space evolve I certainly think uh, there's a lot more openness talking especially talking to like governments that I that I have talked to I think they're starting to realize that they can't it's a very different role for them and, and it requires yeah. reframing I remember presenting to a uh, 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 Ministry of Transport here here in here in New Zealand and and uh, the the framing they gave me was we're an oil tanker we can't just turn around and uh, and, and you know <laughs> in such a short period of time this is going to take a long time for us to kind of get ourselves around to this so um, anyhow look um, obviously I want to talk about the, the elephant in the room which to me is Google Maps and um, uh, you know it, at the moment it's largely just kind of a mapping function we talked about this on last week's podcast um, it, it's sort yeah. of a you know. It, it, like it has a little bit of extra stuff around kind of AdWords for shops, et cetera, but it doesn't explicitly pursue the job to be done of kind of where are you going and then route people there and advertise along the way. Um, you know, I, I look at your app, so anybody who, who downloads the Transit app, the first thing you're asked is where are you going, right? And, and, and in the same way that we had that same thing at Uber, you know, the function and, yeah. the, and how you framed yourself up is we're going to do this but we're going to send people that way. But then, as far as I understand, you don't start routing people, kind of diverting them off while they're going in order to be able to um, have them uh, stop in at a shop to get something along the way and then be yeah. able to collect revenue on that as a sort of AdWords uh, advertising model. Yeah. Um, you know, talk me through that design decision. How do you think about the, yeah. you know, like where the world is going to be going? So uh, I'll say, I think it's 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 really interesting the, the way you, you sort of frame the question of, you know, how... Um, transit starts with this where are you going uh, as as you know it's it's um, it's design approach and, and it's be it's sort of that's whenever you ask anyone about what they imagine a mobility to service app to be it's going to be you know you plug in your destination it shows you all of the time and cost of all the different possible options and and that's like that's what everyone's mind instantly goes to right when they think of mobility as a service and I think that's where um, that's where a lot of people get it wrong and, and this is what we've done differently at transit and sort of where where we thought about design differently majority of trips that people are taking are either commutes to work or school or they're habitual, right? These are, these are places you know where you're going, you know how to get there. What you care about is when your, your bus is going to show up. Is there a bike share nearby? Is there a scooter nearby? Journey planning is like an extra, is an extra friction. Having to type in your destination is an extra friction. And so what we do differently is that, well, yes, when you open the app, there is, you know, it's easy to plan a trip if you need to. The first thing people can do is they can open the app and they can see the bus down the street is going to show up in eight minutes and then close the app. It's such an instant gratification of what people are looking for hmm. um, and, and sort of what they actually want on a day-to-day basis. And that's why, I mean, we've got, you know, an average of close to eight sessions per user a day, right? Because they are opening the app quickly and repeatedly to get sort of that key information. You don't need to plan journeys at, at that often. If you're going to work in the morning, you know, you usually know like what, what you're going to do or how you're going to get there. And so this is, you know, getting back to sort of the, the, the core question of, you know, uh, Google Maps. I think um, Google Maps has a lot of friction for that daily use case. Um, which we've sort of addressed really in a, in a, in a different way um, and which has been responsible for sort of where we've gotten to today. So we didn't really sort of talk about, about you know, um, adoption and users, but, you know, today in the U.S. and Canada, um, after, after Google Maps and Waze, we're the third, number three navigation app on the App Store charts. You know, we are, uh, we have millions of people using the app every single day. And uh, the U.S. is our biggest market, but just to give you a sense, like in Canada, we are getting close to one in five people on a given day who get on a bus or train in the whole country will open the app. So it's, no it's you know, really, That's amazing. It's really quite widespread adoption. Yeah. Um, it's, it, you know, and there are markets we have like, you know, uh, Baltimore is one of our best markets in the U.S. where that number is like 40 percent. Like the whole city before they get on a bus or train that day 
they're going to open the app. And so we've sort of taken that approach differently, um, but, but sort of broadening the conversation, you know, I think, I think there's sort of three other things we can think about of, of you know, Google being the elephant in the room. Um, uh, you know, I think the first is sort of, you know, the, the, their focus, like, like you said, their focus has just been more on like local and search, you know, they're looking at, um, you know, they're focusing on people looking for restaurants and, you know, that is sort of comes first. And then when it comes to mobility, driving has always been the priority. Um, and you can see that even some of like the mass type things they've done in the past, uh, like the integration they had with Uber, it used to be sort of a full booking integration. They pulled that back into more of a deep linking experience. Um, on a bike sharing side, you know, uh, they launched four to five years after we did, you know, showing where bike share stations were and, and how many bikes were available. And today it's, it's like POIs on a map. It's not, it's not really sort of a, a prominent bike sharing, uh, you know, experience. It's sort of a secondary function. Um, so, so I think, you know, it's not the focus. Certainly it, it can become one, but uh, it, it hasn't been the focus and they haven't, it has, there hasn't been so much speed in sort of delivering that. Um, but I think, I think more importantly, I think what we've done you know, quite differently from, 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 from them and, and really from a lot of other sort of the pure B2C players in this space is that we're partnering closely with transit authorities. Um, whereas, you know, in the case of, of Google, a transit authority sees nothing. You know, if someone planned a trip on Google Maps, the, the transit authority is getting none of that data. Yeah. We are, with our partners, we're actively sharing data on where people are planning trips, where they're opening the app, so that they get sort of that information for, for service planning and operations. Um, uh, you know, even even like small little things of friction, which is like the way the way a schedule gets loaded into Google Maps, it can take like up to a week from when a transit authority uploads it to when it actually you know shows up in the app uh, in Google in Google. And so normally that's that's fine, but especially say during like COVID times um, or even times where there's like service changes happening frequently, um, you know you need you need sort of you need not only help with with any issues that are going on, but you also need. Uh, less lead time to get that information processed. And so, you know, on our side, we're pulling that data frequently. We're, we're fixing issues with transit authorities collaboratively. Um, and so that's, that's sort of been a big thing for us, which has been that close relationship, which has led to sort of these high adoption levels that I mentioned before. I mean, some others like of, of agency partners off the top of my head, Cincinnati, we're at something like 30% adoption. Uh, in a bigger city like Boston, we're at like 15% on a given day, Calgary, 20%. Hmm. So really, I mean, it's, it's sort of in the daily habits of people who are riding, uh, riding uh, uh, public transit. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so look, there, there, there's a big discussion going on at the moment, and, and we, you kind of uh, referenced that when you're talking about LODOT and, and, and the fact that um, LA has sort of been uh, forward thinking on micro transit. Um, but the, you know, yeah. there's obviously a big discussion happening right now, and we're, do, we're recording this article in mid June 2020. But it's um, around standardization of data in the in the micromobility world. So MDS is the sort of mobility data center. We've had uh, David Zipper on a couple of times to talk about it, um, but it is really uh, probably the largest standard um, globally in terms yeah. of micromobility data. And, um, and 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 for anybody who's kind of coming to this brand new, uh, it just me. It's a it's a way for a um, uh, micromobility operator, shared micromobility operator like Bird or Lime, um, to be able to transfer uh, data to a government, effectively saying, look, this is where the, the vehicles are, um, this is where the trips have been, um, and anybody who's operating a shared micromobility service has to provide this data. Um, uh, to the government now, there's a big there's a big uh, lawsuit going on at the moment. Uh, originally, yeah. Uber had sued LADOT, and now uh, the ACLU uh, and the EFF have, have started suing uh, as well. Um, so, can you talk about why data, data standardization uh, matters for you and why it's such a political battleground? Yeah. yeah so, you know, um, 
at least on the MDS side, it's not something that we, we touch actively. MDS is much more for the management of, of, of operators versus sort of uh, trip planning or trip execution for riders. Yeah. So that's not, you know, we, that's not something that, that we touch. Within the MDS specification, there is a requirement for something called GBFS, General Bike Share yep. Feed Specification, which is something that, that we're, we're much more connected to. And, um, and that's, in the many serving ways, of the, of, that's the serving of exactly where the bikes are so that then you can discover exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, so it's, you know, it started with dock bike share and then it was readapted for, for scooters and, you know, it's, it's potentially going to evolve to serve mopeds or, or, or car share, but it's sort of at its core, it's real-time position of, of uh, you know, bike, bikes and scooters. Um, uh, so, you know, in, in, in a third party app, you can figure out is, uh, is a bird closer, is a line closer, is a spin closer, um, you know, where is it? You can, you can, you can sort of, you can sort of see all of that key information, um, in, in, in an app and, and, uh, GBFS has actually been making just, you know, a lot of progress. Um, so, you know, some, some, most cities at this point, at least in North America, when they put out their permit, uh, uh, um, processes, they're all requiring open GBFS from operators. Um, and so that's, you know, DC, San Francisco, Oakland, Chicago, uh, smaller cities like Louisville, uh, Detroit, I mean, all of them are requiring that, that this data be, be, be made open. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the specification is now being sort of managed by a company or I should say a not-for-profit called Mobility Data. Yep. Not sure if you've, if you've heard of them. The Open Mobility yeah. Foundation? No, so, so no, not, not, not OMF. It's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's a not-for-profit called Mobility Data. Um, and what they, their sort of background was that they had emerged out of the Rocky Mountain Institute to be the organization that managed G GTFS. Yeah, no so, way. Uh, yeah, so they're, they're basically, you know, they manage the different stakeholders. They, they coordinate between, um, you know, consumers of the data, producers of the data, uh, government, um, to sort of reach consensus on specifications and have a whole sort of voting and governance process to advance those, those, um, those specifications. And so from their experience with GTFS, they, they ended up taking over, um, uh, or I should say, taking over is the wrong word, it's, it's a collaborative effort, yeah. but have um, you know, become sort of the technical stewards, I would say, of, of GBFS. And so GBFS 2.0 just came out, which includes um, things like uh, uh, deep linking. So if you see sort of a, a, a bird scooter in, say, transit, uh, you can link from our app to the bird app uh, in sort of a standardized way. And so um, they're working on things like um, zones, so you know where uh, where you know vehicles can't be parked in third-party apps. So that that effort, I think, is 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 something that that touches us more directly. Um, this is fascinating. And, I haven't uh, uh, I haven't yeah. heard of this, uh, even though I'm kind it's, of followed so, this you know, really MBS quite closely. sort of sucks all the air out of the room yeah. because it's such you know, and it's 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 a, it's a worthy debate. I, you know, there's there there are there are um, questions on, on, on and and sort of. Um, concerns that are that are correct on sort of both sides. Certainly for those who are who are making the arguments in good faith, um, but but uh, you know GBFS is sort of quietly really doing its job and, and really advancing in more and more places. Yeah, I mean for 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 me and I when I think about micromobility as a service, I mean the one that I really care about is the GBFS in the sense of I want the. <laughs> To go back to it, it's like, I want to walk down the street. I don't really care who the scooter is. I just want to be able to open it and pay for it. And and then there, there to be a seamlessness and commodification of, of this so that um, you can do things like, I want to reserve a scooter at the end of my bus ride and that you know that there's going to be a scooter when you emerge and, and that and yeah. you can reliably get it. And that way then um, uh, you can start to rely on it for things like commutes, right? Because at the moment, that's that, yeah. that's kind of the big, the big problem with a lot of shared micromobility is that you cannot... Uh, a chain link uh, these trips together uh, in a reliable manner 
um, and also as well on the payment side as well that the payment can end up being facilitated um, so that for example yeah. a transit we- operator can start subsidizing part subsidizing those trips etc um, so it sounds like GBFS is where yeah. it's at I need to go and get this mobility data guys yeah, <laughs> yeah no they're, 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 they're great um, it's, a, it's a great organization um, uh, the uh, you know, the, at least for now on the GBFS side, it's it's purely information. Yeah. So nothing around around uh, around payments. But you know, that's it, it's it's sort of the, the the building block to getting into and sort of payments and booking precisely. And yeah, um, yeah I can and, see that. and that's what they've been have been doing. Well, yeah, um, talk me through payments uh, and like and how you see the developing because you know, uh, to me that strikes me as being. Um, you know, whenever, I mean, there's sort of obviously two use cases. There's a sort of like the day-to-day commute and that's yeah. a pretty, that's kind of one specific use case. And then there's the, hey, I'm traveling in another city and oh my goodness, what a giant headache it is to yeah. have to go and get, you know, the, the different cards and the paying with cat and, you know, just whatever. It's, it, it's a, such yeah. a high level of friction that it actually deters me from using PT. Yeah, no, I mean, so I, I think I think there's friction in both cases, even if the daily commute, which is, you know, if your commute, say, is on, on a bus, uh, at least, or it starts on the bus even, before you get onto a train and there's no vending machine to add value to your card for you to pay, you know, there, there, there are a lot, there's a lot of friction even, you know, throughout payments, I think, for, for, for public transit. So um, this has been something we've been working uh, uh, actively on for the past, you know, year or so. Now for about 20 different transit authorities across uh, North America, you can buy a ticket in the app. Uh, you can validate it either by scanning a barcode when you board or through visual validation. So it's got a you know moving image that that you show to the driver, or if there's any kind of you know fare check going on. Um, and so the the largest cities we're in uh, for that right now are, are Denver, Las Vegas, and, and Cincinnati. Um, but but there we cover most of the state of Ohio. We're in um, St. Catharines, which is the Niagara region of Canada, and um, quite a number more coming. Um, and, and what we do there is sort of similar to what we do on a bike share or a scooter side, which is we're, we don't want to sort of control all of the, 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 the back end or build all of that. There are companies that do that better than us. So we are, we're much more of an integrator. So we work with a company called Misabi um, in a lot of these places. Uh, we work with another company called Token in, in Santa Monica and other places as well. Uh, we've got more, more sort of ticketing partners coming. Um, but so, you know, we, we, we sort of tie together the user experience um, uh, for for our users, uh, whereas they're sort of working much more on sort of the back office and, and, and the back end uh, um, side. Um, another thing we've, we've put a lot of effort uh, into has been uh, what we call transit accounts. Um, so with more and more mobility options in a given city, you know, you're having six different accounts in order to access a service in six different apps. Um, but what we've built is so that no matter sort of what provider it is, whether it's a bike share, scooter, transit ticketing, different supplier, the front end inside of transit is identical. Um, but when you're going through and sort of purchasing a pass, we, we transfer that information to, to the partners as needed because they, you know, whether it's a transit authority, whether it's a scooter service, they need to know who their customers are. So the, the way the accounts work is from the front end, it's sort of seamless for the end user. And, and on the background, it sort of maintains all of the, the, the account processes that you'd expect. Um, and so that's sort of been a, a big effort as well to unify that experience for customers. Um, but, but, you know, all to say, uh, you know, while we've started with, with, with information, it, until you allow users to act on that information, the experience isn't complete. And that's what we've been putting a lot of time to. So, um, you know, transit agencies, we support integrations with most, most, bike, most of the largest bike share suppliers in North America today. So whether in your Toronto or, or Montreal, for example, you can buy a bike sharing pass in the, in the app and unlock a bike. 
Um, we've got booking support with Uber and Lyft in the app, so you can book uh, a ride hail trip with either of them. So really sort of working on, on, on bringing all of those modes uh, into the same place. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Horace and I often talked about the, fu- the forcing function for mobility as a service. Yeah. Um, and that, and that, that sort of this idea of um, if you really want to get somebody uh, replacing car use. I mean, you, you've kind of got, on what, I guess on one end of the spectrum, people who are sort of like, you know, I live in a downtown area that's highly dense and, I've, and I'm always going to take public transport because that's, I, I live in these kind of areas that, yeah. are, that are well-serviced. And then you've got people who live way out in the burbs and um, there's a, you know, it just naturally makes sense. They're, they're kind of, they're in public transport deserts. And, um, and there's obviously a kind of, that's a spectrum. And there are people who, who kind of live throughout that as well. But it strikes me that until we can get to that point where or we can continue to build the solutions towards getting and replacing car use and and relying on having to use a car because that's the only option around. Um, We've thought a lot about this with things like WIM and the, 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 um, uh, Mass Global. I have interviewed Sample on the, on the podcast uh, and then he really struggled with building subscriptions. You know, those are, they're they're really like he built one in Finland, but it was really challenging to be able to scale uh, anywhere else. Um, What do you, you know, do you see that, coming is that where we where we're going to end up yeah. is that how the forcing function of mobility service is going to work or is that a red herring like how, how should i be thinking about it differently yeah well I, you know I, th- I think the first thing and it, it might go without saying is that so much of of the forcing function has actually got nothing to do with technology it's got to do with the built environment it's have to it has to do with policies that encourage the usage of other transportation modes and discourage car ownership and so you know, th- those initiatives are, are, we should always remember, are, are, are things that, that, that often move the needle much, much more than the technology. And yeah. maybe I shouldn't be saying that as, as uh, you know, uh, no, someone no, who's working true, in tech, but, but that's, yeah. that's, that's the truth. And I think we, need, we, we, we sometimes lose sight of that. So, you know, putting that aside, I think, um, I think that part of the issue with mass today um, and, and the, the forcing function you talk about is that um, it's often framed around payments, um, which is that, the, 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 the most important thing is being able to uh, pay for everything in one place um, or to have sort of subscription for all of your services and that, you know, payment in innovation is, is, is center stage. And I know I talked a lot about, about uh, payments a, a second ago, but for me, payments is the layer on top. It's not sort of, it's not the center of the innovation around mobility as a service. Mm-hmm. And so often I think that the order is, is backwards where it's, what is this new innovative payment process that we're going to build, whether it's a subscription or whether it's, you know, everything in one place. But I think the number one priority to, to, to building mobility as a service is figuring out, figuring out a unique or effective way to build a user base of people coming to you for mobility needs. So how do you get to that mass adoption? And that's the hardest and most important part. You need the demand to be able to do anything interesting. And so that sort of has been our focus, which is how do you get into the, you know, people's daily mobility uh, habits? Um, and so our approach was building sort of uh, something that served a daily pressing need, which was the, the design approach around what we call the nearby mode, and then also investing heavily in partnerships with what are still today the largest providers and most important providers of non-car you know, ownership transportation, which are transit agencies. They, they move far more people than any other mode except for personal vehicles. And so uh, we work with them not just to improve the quality of information, but we lean on them, we lean on their marketing channels, we lean on their relationships with their riders to get our apps in the hands, of, to get our app in the hands of as many people uh, as possible. So that's, you know, I think that's, I think the first question for anyone who's trying to have an impact on mobility as a service is how do you build the demand? Um, because then mobility as a service is a layer on top. It's it's sort of. 
figuring out how you better route people. It's figuring out how you get payments for all these modes in the same place. It's figuring out whether, in fact, subscriptions is, is something that really has legs under it. It's, it's sort of, there, there's no sort of silver bullet, I think. But I think, you know, the, the, the foundation for anyone who's doing anything interesting in mobility as a service is, you know, huge adoption um, and lots of demand. And so those are sort of the companies to look at. Yes. And even, even if they're not in, you know, even if they're not currently in the mobility space, I mean, I, I think there was an announcement recently on, on uh, Snap adding some more sort of local function uh, to their app and, you know, making it easier to, to, to see, uh, you know, what, what businesses are around you. But that's a, that's, a, that's a company that's got something like 200 million monthly active users, right? And so I think, you know, I think it's how do you how do you build the demand, and then that's when you start doing the other things rather than than the inverse. Yeah, I, I uh, the Snap Minis, I I, <laughs> I I somewhat dismissed it initially, and then uh, I was reading another, I was reading somebody uh, yesterday, and they were pointing out that um, it, Snap is rebuilding the mall, and so it's this idea that yeah. you can collectively go and have an experience where you would get together, and then you want to purchase something as a group, and that is how oftentimes uh, uh, you know uh, decision deci- purchasing decisions are made and so if you've got for example yeah. oh well let's all go here and we all end up on that bus to do that and you collectively group group that demand together then that is actually quite an interesting use case um, yeah uh, yeah yeah interesting I hadn't uh, thought about that as a um, contender but that's uh, I will see how that space yeah. develops um, look this show is about micromobility and um, yeah and uh, we haven't really talked much about it so I, I'd love for you to just talk me through um, you know uh, if you could wave a magic wand uh, so that it offered the most that transit like the most it could to transit in the sense of yeah just making everything kind of work perfectly like what would that look like sure um, you know I, I, we talked a bit about GBFS before um, I think you know having universal sort of dependable access to to that data everywhere um, is 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 an important foundation and the continued evolution of that standard. So, for example, right now, pricing information isn't included. I mean, as, you know, it's very very hard to know which scooter of the four near you is actually cheapest for your trip. Yeah. That information is really hard to find. So, I think the continued evolution of the standard, which I think is in good shape, um, and then you know, how does that move from just um, information into uh, into payments mm-hmm. and building out those standardized APIs to to make integration easier? So, I think I think that's 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 the obvious one. Um, but I think I'd, in some ways I actually want to reverse the question. I think what I find most interesting right now, especially with, with, with COVID, is um, how few partnerships there are between micromobility companies and transit authorities. Yeah. Um, and what you see right now happening, particularly now, is there is this explosion of microtransit on-demand services, whether it's Uber or Lyft or Via or you know, Rideco or all of these, these companies who are doing these first-mile, last-mile services with transit authorities. But why not scooters? Why, why are scooters and bikes not used in that same way? Why aren't subsidies being given for, for people who take a scooter to the bus instead of people who take an Uber to the bus, right? And it feels that, you know, both from a combination of it's more cost effective for, it's a lot cheaper in terms of operating costs for a scooter than, than, than to get a driver to drive you in a car. Um, you know, it, it's better for the environment, it's better for congestion. And so it sort of feels like there needs to be more momentum. And so both, you know, if we think we're in a position, given sort of our relationship with both to help facilitate that, but just more broadly, we think if you're a micromobility company right now, you should be actively reaching out to your local transit authority. You should be, how do you supplement their service? How do you, you know, uh, uh, you know build those sort of first mile, last mile partnerships um, that, that don't exist today? So I, I, think that's, I think that's another angle of it. 
Um, and then we, we actually do have a couple of interesting projects on, on the micromobility side, which I think sort of touches all of the themes that, that we've discussed today, mobility as a service and, and you know, data standards and, and, and whatnot. Um, in Pittsburgh, we're working on an interesting project there where um, we will support um, basically uh, the integration of all of the local mobility options in the app. Uh, the project's called Move 412. Um, and so what that means is you'll be able to pay for public transit, you'll be able to, to pay for spin scooters in the app when, when they come to Pittsburgh, you'll be able to access the bike share, um, all of that through, through, through transit with the same account for all of those different modes. Um, and sort of like we talked about before, what I think is particularly exciting for us is that's a city where we have about 25% adoption. So you've got you know, 25, 30, 40,000 people per day in that city opening up, uh, opening up the app. And so they're already using it for public transit. Are they gonna now pay for it? Are they gonna access scooters? It's sort of, you, you, you um, shorten the cycles of like the learnings that, that we all wanna have around mass because you've got the payments, you've got mobility as a service. Um, and I think the last one that's, that's interesting um, to talk about is, uh, is Dayton, Ohio. Um, and it's a model that I think might continue to evolve. They are, um, they no, 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 not only operate uh, the, the, the buses, uh, the transit agency there, but they also operate bike share. And, and as of, uh, um, yeah, I think late last year, um, they are also operating spin scooters. So it's actually the transit agency mm. who's positioning the fleets, rebalancing, charging, all of that um, in the city. So they're, they're really the mobility manager across, across all of these modes. Um, and so I think that's, that's another interesting thing to, to think about, which is when the transit agency um, sort of manages all of these things, what does that enable? And, and what does that mean for, for integration, for transit, and, and for others? A hmm. um, couple of things. So to your, to your question about why, why is there nobody, um, or none of, the, none of the sort of like uh, uh, micromobility companies actually going and working with the transit agencies, I think there's part of it, you know, this is someone, you know, so, so when I was at Uber, I was in that team uh, in Australia and New Zealand that was building yeah. the first last mile connection stuff at Uber and culturally it was a very <laughs> it was very challenging um, to be able to get yeah. both both of both of our companies be able to move um, and, and build like that and that was in 2017 2018 and and yeah. I, I don't think it's really evolved substantially since then and even then um, w when you do look at it at the sort of first last mile connection stuff that, that is happening in the US for example I know that it's taken a really long time for any of the funding to change so that then the yeah. funding uh, cycles for transit agencies is able to be put onto, for example first last mile connections with someone like Uber or any of these other solutions um, in a way that it would be absorbable by those companies um, so that they can like bid for and, 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 and participate and I think that it's probably going to be the same with, with scooters I mean I just yeah. Uh, I haven't seen, I think there's, there's an example of um, some of those trips being funded in Europe. Um, and, and certainly there was also Sacramento, I know, trialed it where yeah. the, the, the transit agency was actually paying for that micromobility first last mile connection. Yeah. But it was only short term, right? Like it's not, nobody's worked out how to do this in, a, in the long term. And I, I do wonder a little bit about how we can make that move faster. I just think it's maybe one of these things that we don't have much opportunity we don't have much say in it and and that the technology will evolve faster on this end um so that for example the vehicles themselves you end up with swappable batteries with way lower ops costs you end up with maybe at some point self-repositioning scooters yeah um so that the actual cost of provision for those vehicles on a per kilometer basis ends up so cheap that you almost don't need that to happen right like i, I mean that's yeah. my dream is that Micromobility yeah. ends up being able to be cost competitive with with everything, um, 
to the point that it's you know it's 50 cents for a scooter ride or it's a dollar for a scooter ride and and to the point that everybody just goes like wow of course i'll use it because it's so cheap now um and that's where horace and i uh, horace certainly believes that the marginal cost per kilometer is going to get down to being uh so cheap that it'll be not so cheap to measure but it, it will end up being similar to the internet, which is, you know, what happens when the cost of telecommunications goes from it's $7 a minute to have a phone call with, um, you know, s- someone overseas to yeah. it's free um, or it's nearly yeah. free. Uh, and and, and uh, I think that's where we're going to get to, but it'll take time and it'll be an interesting inter- intersection uh, and interaction between uh, those agencies and where it's currently funded and how that works uh, and the technology side as well. Um, yeah, I think, I, th- I think you're, you know, there's certainly a lot of, you know, it, there, there are sort of bureaucratic or, or government barriers to doing these things fast, but there are certainly opportunities, whether they have, you know, you know, innovative fund, funding grant, grants from the FTA or, you know, um, um, sandbox projects. And, and it just doesn't, you know, and, and I might have missed a lot of the things that are going on, but it just has not felt like an active thing um, if you're, you know, for micromobility companies who are very actively trying to be, you know, good partners to cities to say, hang on a minute. Um, the cities are not the ones operating sort of the biggest non-car mode in, in my city. It's the transit authorities. Yes. And so, you know, it feels like there, there, there's a lot of work that can be done there and even sort of opening up that conversation um, uh, now in particular um, feels like something that, that, that uh, is missing. So, um, you know, we're, we're hopeful that, for example, our project in, in, in Pittsburgh will we'll, um, we'll show some of that off. We're, we're working with with a scooter company as well to offer multimodal discounts like you talked about earlier. So if you buy a ticket, you get, say, some money off of your, uh, um, uh, your unlock fee. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, to encourage that sort of behavior. Um, I think those are the kinds of things that start building momentum. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. Well, look, I, I, um, I want to talk about funding. Um, obviously, C- yep. City Mapper famously put itself up for sale in January. Um, and, and I think they were perhaps a different slightly different model to you they would take they were taking on a lot of risk uh, as far as i could tell uh trying to build a yeah. subscription model uh or a subscription business for for, for um for transit and apparently that didn't work out um at the end of the day you've raised uh, so according to crunchbase 26.6 million um how's that funding landscape and then like take, take me through kind of uh, obviously how you've been thinking about funding and then how that's changed over the last um you know since you began yeah um so, so you know, you, you you know, you first talked about City Mapper. Right? You know, we've we've a lot of respect for them. You know, they they built an excellent product that that uh, uh, you know does does a, a great job of what what they do uh, with um, you know a lot of loyalty among their users. I think um, they made a pretty bold bet on operating buses themselves, um, uh, and you know, putting metal on the streets, whether it's a bus or a scooter or or a bike, can be quite expensive, and so. You know, it was it was a bold bet, and it, it was quite an, an interesting service, but it didn't work out for them. And I think that that's sort of part of the the uh, the funding question for them. You know, on our side, we didn't choose to go down down that route of of, of operating anything ourselves. So, um, you know, we 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 sip the VC funds uh, versus trying to uh, take too much, and so that has kept us in a, in a good financial position um, uh, from a funding perspective. So, um, uh, you know, I think that's what we're we're. We're, we're in a good position there. Um, uh, and I think generally um, the, the, the fact that you can get to sort of the, 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 the type of adoption that, that, that we've seen um, with sort of the funding we raised is, is important because you know, ultimately what, what you're looking for is how do you, how do you um, touch a, a, enough, enough people who are looking to find 
you know, mobility options in cities. And so, you know, scaling a business where you're part of people's daily habits, uh, where you're part of people's daily trips, really journey planning, daily payments, um, it's sort of been, uh, been, been, been our focus. And, and, you know, that, that has been, um, that has, that has progressed well for us. Mm -hmm. The, the, with the funding, uh, I mean, do you guys expect that you're going to need to continue to fundraise, or are you getting to the getting to the point in terms of uh, the revenue that you're collecting from from users and 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 on sales and stuff like that that you'll be able to get to a sustainable like business that'll that'll make sense for for, for you going forward? To, yeah. yeah, I mean, is that is that where you see it going? I, I think it, it really depends. I mean, um, you know, additional funding can always help accelerate things, even uh, uh, even if it's not absolutely necessary, and so. I think you know uh, it's it's yet to be seen what what makes the most sense for our business. Um, certainly, you know, COVID changes a lot of calculations, but you know, it's it was great as I as I mentioned before that we could go into uh, you know COVID feeling that we're in a pretty comfortable and secure position financially, and you know can can uh, can ride this out. Um, but you know, yet yet to be seen. Yeah, with the uh, so take me through the COVID and and how it's. Um how it's impacted what you guys are seeing. I mean, obviously, like, everything just stopped. <laughs> um, but in terms of uh, rebuild now, and again, we're in kind of mid-June 2020, um, yeah. you know, what are you, what are you seeing? Um, so, we, you know, as, as would be expected, we saw a pretty massive decrease in, in, in usage of the app when, when everything basically shut down. And we actually put out a, uh, a tracker on our website that showed sort of what that, what that decrease was in different markets to help sort of agencies and other researchers understand what the impact was of, of COVID. So um, that's starting to recover and you sort of see the countries that are doing best recover faster. So in New Zealand, you know, we're, we're getting back close to normal. In Australia, it's a lot better. Paris, which reopened, is a lot better, whereas places that are much more locked down are still are still uh, hurting. Um, so that, that, that was certainly negative um, in terms of usage, but sort of the counter side of it is a lot of things that often would move slowly on the government side just moved a lot more quickly. So there are all of these transit authorities who are looking at, say, emergency ticketing deployments mm. um, uh, because, you know, they don't want people touching the, the, the fare box or being close to the driver, right? So it's like, okay, hang on, how are we going to collect the fares? So, you know, every transit authority that was thinking that at some point they wanted to do mobile payments is sort of rushing in uh, a lot of these procurements. So that's been, you know, that's, that's been great. And I think it's, you know, accelerating things that were going to happen anyways, but are actually happening uh, a lot more quickly. Um, so that's, that's sort of been, been um, uh, I think, something that's good. One other thing which has moved incredibly fast um, and also speaks to the importance of, of uh, standards has been um, transit authorities have been putting out real-time information on crowding. So uh, huh. this is part yeah. of the, 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 the GTFS spec, but they basically put out this real-time crowding information. So inside of transit, we can show you, are, you know, is the bus very crowded? Is it empty? Are there a few seats available? Um, and so that, you know, builds confidence in people. If, you know, if I don't want to be on a bus that's, that's too crowded, you know, I can actually find that information before I get on board. And so that's something that, that uh, we've, been, we've been introducing in a lot of markets. Just out of curiosity, because I, 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 like, yeah. I love this stuff. But uh, is, is that, because uh, I always thought that came from Google. Like, I thought that was proprietary information from Google based on cell phone data. Or is it actually, um, they know how full the bus is? So it's, it's a good question. There's sort of two different types of data. One is... Google will do sort of historical proprietary data of like, you know, um, at, at Tuesday at 9 a.m., the station is usually quite crowded, but it's not actually real time. So if something was going on, um, they might not know that it's actually that crowded. It's sort of historical predictive data. Yeah. But then there's also the transit authorities have passenger counters on their vehicles. So when you walk onto the bus, it sort of counts that, you know, there's this many passengers on board roughly, and they make that data available in real time. 
So it's, it's sort of real-time data of how crowded that bus is right now, this minute, not sort of what it was a week ago or a month ago or... or uh, Interesting. Yeah. And so that's part of the GTFS feed? Yeah, so it, uh, agencies who have it can make it available there. Others are also making it open if they have it in other formats available and you know relatively easy-to-use APIs. So we have this data now in... Uh, let's see, in, in, in Pittsburgh for LADOT in Los Angeles, we have it in Auckland, we have it in, uh, in Ohio in a lot of cities. So it's, uh, it's coming in a lot of places and a lot of the bigger ones are, you know, are actually getting this data available now too, yeah. uh, which, is, which, is really, uh, which is really helpful. And, and it's been sort of like this, this amazing speed of like getting this information out to customers, which, which uh, has been remarkable. Cool, excellent. Well, look, uh, we're up against time, so, so uh, uh, I'll, I'll leave it there. But um, I just want to say thank you so much, Shake. It's really, uh, I mean, one, great to hear the story. And, and, and I think, you know, Transit is definitely part of this, um, this is sort of this overall ecosystem. How do we, how do we really supercharge and make uh, micromobility and mobility in general uh, a thing that, um, the dream, the far off dream that we uh, we don't need to own cars, that we can get our, ourselves around and that it'll be like this beautiful, you know, your cell phone will be your car. You know, that's how you'll get there. It'll be the, the, the mobility device that you get everywhere with. Um, and uh, I think I'm just really excited with that, what you guys are building there. So um, thank you. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Oliver. This is great.